Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. It is my great pleasure to welcome Ron Wolfson, the Fingerhood Professor of Education at the American Jewish University in my hometown of Los Angeles. Ron, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. So we are going to discuss relational Judaism and the first question for those of us amongst mm-hmm. the uninitiated is, isn't Judaism relational anyway? <laughs> That's exactly the point of the book. The very first chapters in, in this book, Relational Judaism, talk about nine levels of relationship that I believe are the goal of a synagogue uh, or a Jewish institution in order to engage Jews in a different way than we did in the 20th century. All right, so lay out for us a little bit of what, what, what are some of the, uh, the existing modes of interacting that you want us to reconsider? Look, you know, for 20 years, Larry Hoffman from uh, your college, HUC, and I did this project called Synagogue 2000, Synagogue 3000, 20 years. Our goal was to help synagogues envision the synagogue of the 21st century. What we found after working with hundreds of synagogues across the denominations was that synagogues depended on engaging their members in programs. And then a smaller portion of the congregation would be volunteer leaders, you know, volunteering for a committee. Right, the leadership. But we quickly found out a lot of people are so busy now with two working parents in the family, uh, single people very busy. You give people a list of committees and a synagogue to volunteer for, and they don't because they know if they do, they're going to be made the chairman automatically. Not only that, it'll be a life sentence. You're (laughs) never going to get off this committee. So instead of that approach to engaging people, come to a program and volunteer for a committee And instead of our relationship with members being what I call in the book transactional, meaning I give you dues and you, rabbi, synagogue, give me a rabbi on call, give me high holiday seats, bar mitzvah my kid, and then as soon as that youngest kid is bar mitzvah, I'm out of there. It's not just the kid who quits. You know, in the reform movement, it's still about 80%. Uh, kids drop out of significant Jewish right. education after bar, mit- bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. The parents disappear too. So you have this terrible situation in many synagogues of, I call it churn. You know, 20 new members in, right, right. 20 members out. Big synagogues, 100 members in, 100 members out. So we're staying flat while the levels of affiliation to synagogues is really gone down quite precipitously in America. So there are other reasons for that. So what my point in relational Judaism is, let's shift the paradigm from transactional and programmatic and put people first. Get to know our people. Hear their stories. Connect them to us in a significantly different way. Us being? Rabbis, cantors, educators, staff, the professional Right. class of a synagogue. So when a lay person in a synagogue says, I love my rabbi, that says to me, the person has a relationship with the rabbi. Sure. Okay. Maybe even met the rabbi at the rabbi's home 
or for coffee or, you know, outside the walls of the study. And the same thing with a student who is gunning to go to a teacher's class because they love, as it were, the teacher. Exactly. Teachers are part of this, too. That's one area of engagement in relationship building. Now, allow me to stop you right here. Sure. That sounds awfully expensive. That sounds like, from a bean counter's perspective, like you've got to have a whole lot of rabbis to attend to a whole lot of people. Uh, well, it turns out it doesn't all lay on the shoulders of the rabbi. It, it turns out that uh, the next area uh, will help answer your question. Good. Great question. It also means building relationships between the p- members of the synagogue and the other members of the amongst synagogue, themselves. amongst sure. themselves. Sure. Otherwise, why have because, a community? Exactly. So people often don't know each other in a synagogue. It's amazing to me. So the most exciting things going on in synagogue life right now are lay-led small groups of lay people, members, getting together for a variety of reasons, affinities, Torah study. Nevertheless, uh, programmatic. It's not that it's not programmatic. Ah, you no, know, nothing wrong with programs. Right, right. Okay. We all have programs. Right, we got to do something. The question is, what do you do within the program to build relationships on that first set of material in the book, the nine levels of relationships. So just to be clear, overall, the three areas of relationship building we must be doing are building some kind of relationship between the professionals in the community and their members, so they get to know them, between the members themselves and between the members and Judaism on these nine levels of relationship I outline in the book. Now, how do you get there? It's the rest of the book. (laughs) I did six case studies of groups that I think are on the cutting edge of this relationship building work, beginning with Chabad. Chabad, I know. Chabad keeps coming up, especially Uh in the reform movement. Yeah, Uh, I know. The reform movement views Chabad with almost invidious frustration. Mm -hmm. and There's a tremendous sense that they have tapped into something that has eluded us, us being reform officialdom. Yes. Can you name it? Sure. I do in the book, and I'm going to, in fact, I'm on my way to the General Assembly meetings of the Federation to make a presentation with uh, Rabbi David Eliezri from Orange County, who wrote a book called The Secret of Chabad, and I'm his outside kind of admirer from a distance and, and critic, because there are many things about Chabad that I have problems with. Sure, inevitably. Many things I have problems about uh, mega churches, right. and yet Rick Warren at Saddleback Church is one of my good friends, Sure, because I've learned a ton from him about building a sacred community. And he taught me a very interesting lesson, Rick Warren. He said, you don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Well so said. when it comes to building a sacred community, I want to go to places I can learn from. Disney University, we're in Orlando. I, was, I came to Disney University 22 years ago to learn their secrets of quality service. Now, are we in a profit-making business? No. We're in a nonprofit, sacred business. But there are things I learned at Disney University I can bring to sure. our work in warming up these congregations. What's the answer to Chabad, and why is it so successful, and what are we missing yeah. in the Reform and, I would say, conservative movements and even the modern Orthodox movement? The first thing is... They believe with all their heart that they have to love every Jew. And they make that their number one guiding principle. And what that means is they want to reach out uh, to as many Jews as they can find. They're not confined to buildings. Yes. Indeed. They're not confined to boards. They're not confined to business as usual. 
they are they're not confined to the middle class economics of uh, suburban uh, non-orthodox institutions correct they're not a dues-based organization they have to raise their own money right they, and, they uh, eat what they kill so exactly and what they <laughs> no, or no, what no, they no, attract yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's put it that way and and the reason that they are so good at building relationships with you from the minute they meet you yeah is that ultimately they're going to come after you for money okay so fundraisers is another one of my case studies in relational Judaism and all the top fundraisers in the country I interviewed uh, David Ellenson wonderful success as a, a fundraiser as president and of the college one of the most relational people and one of the most wonderful relational people you'll ever want to meet Absolutely. Uh, Arnie Eisen at the Chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary of America Abe Foxman raised a ton of money at ADL yes. Anti-Defamation League John Ruskay biggest yes. federation in the country all of them said to me the same thing fundraising is friendraising friend you cannot get a big gift you know, God forbid if your child has got cancer, you're going to give a big gift to cancer research. But short of that, people give money to people they trust right. and they have a relationship with. Chabad knows. They don't just ask you to put on talus and tefillin and, you know, blow a shofar and sit in the sukkah anymore. They know that the first attempt is to get to know you. And the best way to get to know you is to invite you to their Shabbos home dinner. for Shabbos lunch or dinner. And, and to study with you, and to pay attention to you, and to call you on your dad's yard site, and to bring over shmura matzah for your Pesach Seder. And they just get that most of their time has to be spent in building relationships. And they do a tremendous job with it. 4,500 shluchim, yes. emissary rabbis in every corner of the world raising well north of a billion dollars a year to fund their uh, their work in these local right. communities. And the other thing that, that fuels them that we've got to get on in the reform movement and in the conservative movement and the other movements is they are evangelical Jews. Yes, they are. All right? Their mission and their purpose in life is to bring Judaism to as many people as they can. Now, I think my dear friend Rabbi Rick Jacobs is on to something critical when he called for audacious hospitality in his first biennial address. I uh, have known Rick since the first cohort of Synagogue 2000, and I'm a huge fan of him and his work. And what he's really saying to us is that hospitality begins at home with each of us leaders of our congregations. When I go to visit synagogues as a scholar in residence, uh, the first thing I do is I stand in the lobby and I greet everyone I meet. At, I will name it, at Temple Sinai in Atlanta two weeks ago for Shabbat, I was standing literally at the front door of the building greeting everybody coming in. Now some people recognize me from the publicity, but a lot of people thought I was the greeter. The greeter, right. Okay. There was a sign, all the doors on the synagogue were locked, except for one that had a handmade sign, this door is unlocked. <laughs> when you drove into the property, the first sign was, do not enter. Do not enter. <laughs> now, I'm the outsider, so I see this, right, and I point it out to the president and to the rabbi, uh, Ron Siegel, wonderful rabbi, 
and to his colleagues, and their eyes are rolling. They can't believe that you know it took me, right, a visitor from Los to, Angeles, right, 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 to, to, thirty seconds to see it, and point it out to them. By the way, in the week since I've been there, two weeks that I've been there, they've changed all the signage. They, they hear you. But what was fabulous is that they had a proneg, wine and cheese and juice, before Kabbalat Shabbat services. So people were gathering and they were eating and schmoozing and fine. And the rabbis were working the crowd. But I'm still at the front door greeting people. The official greeter from the layperson came late. <laughs> but nobody said, you know what, our, our designated greeter's not there. Okay. So now Ron, Rabbi Ron Siegel, sees this. He comes moseying up to me to join me greeting people. And then he sees there's this roadblock in the doors. Now, there was security outside, so people will be thinking if they're listening to this, you know, what about security? But there were two security guards outside profiling people as they came in. So Rabbi Siegel suddenly flings open the doors of a synagogue building and gets some guys to help him do the chichik on the top of the building, so, you know, of the, of the to top of the, the door open. to keep the doors open. So within five seconds, they now have transformed the welcoming ambiance of the place from all the doors are locked except this one door that's named <laughs> as the door that is unlocked <laughs> to the doors are flung wide open and please come and join us. And now all of a sudden some of the lay board members are also joining me in the front and the greeters kind of move out of the building, in, in, which is what happens in the mega churches. you have greeters in the parking in lot. In the parking lot, right. Because people, you don't want people to feel lost, first thing that happens when right. they walk in. So why is this important? It's important because we learn in Abraham and Sarah's tent that hospitality is the most important Jewish value. Right. Greeting the stranger and welcoming the stranger into your tent, according to the Talmud, is more important than welcoming the Shekhinah. So you're God's presence. So, and that's the beginning of building a relationship with someone. If you don't have a warm welcome, you're never going to have a chance to build a relationship with that person. If people walk into a synagogue and everyone's real clicky, and they don't feel a lot, a lot, and if they don't feel like it's their responsibility, not just the rabbi, and not right. just the designated That's greeter, right. everybody has to be evangelical Jew. So That's the, one of the, the secrets the, of Chabad. That, uh, that's a that that resonates. I think anyone who's encountered Chabad uh, in one way or another um, can see that. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why middle class non orthodox Jews aren't evangelical by temperament, and it has to do with the way we have internalized to our very core a certain kind of enlightenment individualism mm -hmm. and a deep deep suspicion as a religious minority of the notion of evangelism or missionary Correct. attitudes even internally even amongst we we approach reality itself our very our very place in the universe in a way that needs respect for a certain individual space and understands that we have to offer that respect to others sure. and so what feels like to some as warmth and welcoming feels to many Jews who come by it honestly as a kind of invasive, uh, in-your-face, whoa, man, I'm just here for some uh, follow, you know? <laughs> and this is a, a way of approaching the world which is deeply counterintuitive. Yes, it is. And that's why the work is called transformation. <laughs> that's right. it's, get, it's, get off the dime. It's huh? not easy to do this. No. 
and it has to be done correctly. You know, we're in the shadow of the Disney yeah. parks, right. and the Disney people know this too. They know that uh, uh, greeting and welcoming has to be done in a certain way. It has to be genuine, because yes, you can you can tell a fake yeah. Disney and, and smile. We're all suspicious of that, and we all are, and we should be suspicious. Their goal is to raise money from you and right, make money right, off right, of you. Right. But their goal also is to make sure your family has a wonderful experience. And they do a lot of work to try to take a very difficult navigational problem. Right. You know, right. you got three little kids screaming and you wanna right. they wanna see Mickey Mouse and you can't find Mickey Mouse and you're waiting in lines for an hour, it could be a horrible experience. So they they want it to be safe, they want it to be enjoyable, surprising, genuine, educational. They want you to be able to relate. I mean, there are lots of things that go into how they do their work. Similarly, in my work, I've tried to point out to congregations that you have to choose your greeters wisely. You don't want people in right up in people's faces. The evangelical, evangelical Christians have learned to do evangelism differently. Soften it a bit. Much more soft. Oh, my goodness. There, listen, I've been going, taking my students to Saddleback Church for 20 years. Never once has any of them made any kind of effort to evangelize me. Total right, respect. Right, 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 right. Their, their approach now is not in your face, have you thought about Jesus? Their approach now is, tell me your story. Let me get to know you. So when I say evangelical in quotes Jews, all I'm talking about at the beginning of this process is just let's stop hearing from guests of bar mitzvahs who say, we came to the synagogue and nobody said hello to us. A woman said this to me. Uh, I've been a member of this reform congregation for five years. I can't break through the cliques in the That's congregation. Right. Now, the little cliques, the little small groups, are a powerful part of a sacred community. Right, because it's, it's affinity group. It's Exactly. A... And I'm encouraging the development of those affinity groups and those age-related right. groups. We had a session yesterday about it. It was fantastic. Uh, the temple in Atlanta is doing great stuff with it. It's this. a kind of nourishment for the people on the inside. It's great. But if it's closed, and if those people walk down the halls of the synagogue and don't say hi to people, uh, you know, it yeah, changes. It's true. Mind. You know, that I've been to many, many uh, services in Kiddush afterwards where uh, I or any number of people are literally just nibbling alone and they stay alone. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost shocking if you pause to see it. That's right. But it is hard to change it. And so it seems to me a lot of your work is giving practical, specific tools for people to break out uh, rather than just saying be hospitable. Yes, it's, you know, when I do a scholar-in-residence weekend, I always ask to meet with the leadership of the congregation, the clergy and the staff and the board. And in the best places, I'm thinking of Rabbi David Stern at uh, Emmanuel in, in Dallas. He had, that's a very large Reformed temple, he had for a Sunday morning every senior staff person, every teacher, every custodian. Right. I mean, and David actually, Rabbi David actually sat at the table with a custodian crew, which was phenomenal. And I did an hour and a half training on welcoming. I have a book called The Spirituality of Welcoming that was the predecessor to relational Judaism. And I did, you know, I did basically a greeting training that I've picked up from 
Disney, Ritz-Carlton, uh, Home Depot, you know, all these great customer service organizations. I, it, none of them resonate with me as great customer organiza- customer service organizations. I'm, so I'm wondering really? if I'm missing something. When I go to Home yeah. Depot, yeah. I walk in. I spend time in Home Depot because give me a tool and I'm happy. Okay. I mean, I, not that I know Good. what to do with them, but Good. I love them. Uh-huh. And so I walk in. And sure enough, there's somebody there with an orange apron saying, welcome to Home Depot. That's true. But the minute I need something, they're scarce as hell. You know, and, well. And, and, and I cannot break through my suspicion with a place like Disney. I'm incapable of it. Really? I, I, and, and, and nothing they do is going to. Going to change that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the name, where else did you name? Home Depot. Uh, Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. It's a oh, it's great a ho- customer service. Hotels tend to be good. Nordstrom's great. Four Seasons is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hotels. Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Never. Phenomenal customer yeah. service. Yeah. Um, Barnes and Noble, you know, bookstore. If you went in 20 years ago and you asked for Ron Wolfson's book, they would look on the computer and they'd say, right. "Oh, it's third floor, aisle 16. Good luck." Right, right, right. Now right. they walk you. To they it. walk you to it. They find the book and they so hand does, it. So to does you. Ralph's Grocery, by the way. Exactly. Trader Joe's. So exactly. Chase Bank. Last year on my birthday, I got 426 happy birthday greetings on Facebook. <laughs> I got four handwritten cards. In the snail mail, in the real mail, right? right. right? One was actually hand-delivered by my wife, Susie, with chocolate cake in bed. That's our tradition. Uh, That's a good one. Our daughter, Javi, and her husband sent a beautiful card. My son, Michael, he sent me a handwritten card. The fourth card I got was from Valerie, my Chase Bank teller. (laughs) It says, Dear Mr. Wolfson, Happy birthday. Uh, when you were in the branch last week, you mentioned you were going to visit your grandchildren oh boy, for your birthday skilled. celebration. That's very skilled. How was your visit? Next time they're in town, please bring them by the branch so we might meet them. <laughs> Have a great day. Sincerely, Valerie, your Chase Bank teller. <laughs> First of all, now, who has a teller anymore? I'm telling you, I, 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 I made a relationship with this teller at Chase Bank, Valerie, because she has a name tag, and now I get this card and I suddenly understand something had happened at Chase. Not only was Valerie, my teller, engaging me, her client, in a different way, how is your day going, that, that, right. not just the transaction, little small talk. Oh, a little, little small yeah. talk. I noticed that one of the managers was always out of the cubicle in the back of the space and roaming the lobby. So I went to the manager, and I, I, I made a beeline to Valerie right. that day on my birthday to thank her for the card. And I said, did someone tell you to do this? She said, no, but we've been encouraged to engage our clients in a more relational way. And I go, bing, 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 bing. Right. Then I asked the manager, and the manager says, no, we've actually thought that we want to be a different kind of bank. We want to go beyond transactions and really get to know our clients. Now, the smartest companies in the country understand that human relationships, human interactions is something we really have to We're social mammals. I mean, this is what we do. David Brooks has a good book about that. Uh, Jeff Colvin wrote a wonderful book that Fareed Zakaria just talked about called Human Beings Are Underrated. (laughs) And he says, he says, no, it's a very interesting book. He says, at the beginning of the 20th century, we started talking about what are we going to need in the economy? Knowledge workers. 
software engineers, right? right? right. He says in the next part of the 21st century... We're going to need people who can look and establish eye contact. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because all the kids are going to be... Exactly. He says we're going to need people who have empathy. Yeah, yeah. People who have interpersonal skills. People who can build relationships. I've been telling my kids this. I'm telling... Well, I'm trying to find examples. I'll give you one more. I was with a rabbi I had mentioned in uh, the book, Relational Judaism, Rabbi David Seth Kirshner. He goes to a 600-member synagogue uh, in Closter, New Jersey, nine years ago. In his first year, he had demanded from his synagogue board, in the budget, a catered and waitered Shabbat dinner in his home every Friday night from the end of the high holidays until the end of May. He and his wife take the summer off from this. Almost every week, they will have eight to ten guests in their home for Shabbat dinner. His wife works full-time. He's a very busy rabbi. They're not going to produce a Shabbat dinner. They can't produce a Shabbat dinner. So there's a waiter, and it's catered, and they don't lift a finger. All they do is do Welcome. They welcome. They do this ritual. They relate. He says in the first year, he had 400 people to his house for Shabbat dinner. Just three weeks ago, I'm back at his synagogue giving a talk about my new book, uh, The Best Boy in the United States of America, a memoir of blessings and kisses, which is a very funny and very touching and wonderful collection of my favorite stories. David says to me, please come to our home for Shabbat dinner. They had a beautiful, quick ritual around the blessings of the Shabbat table that was full of humor and good goodwill. At the table were Susie and me guests, uh, two member couples from the congregation, but one member of the couple of the congregation had been on a trip to Israel with uh, David and Dory, the rabbinic couple, and they invited friends who were not members of the synagogue. It was a spectacular Shabbat dinner. So at the end of it, I said to him, so you, how many have you done now? in nine years, and what's the impact been? How many people have you had? He said, well, first of all, Ron, he said, I would estimate between our Shabbat dinners and the dinners we hold for newly married, or the people we're marrying, and sukkah visits, and all that kind of stuff, we have probably had 2,000 people to our home in the first nine years of our, our time in this synagogue. And the secret is, we hardly ever invite anybody twice. Huh. Wow. Now, most rabbis I know are taught in seminary, get a small group of your own right, friends and, follow through. and be with them, and that'll be your private time. And, you know, and there's ver- a lot to say about s- right, shaping kind of, your uh, private time idea. as a rabbi. You're on 24-7, Canner, same way. You know, I highly respect that. And David takes his Monday off and Tuesday off right, or whatever right. whatever he takes off. He takes off his time to be with himself and his family. And rabbinic health is very important. But the, the fact that he hardly ever has the same people twice, he's always looking for new people to invite, means he's reaching deep into the synagogue to those peripheral right. Jews that are there that, for that would, transaction. And would never expect And would never expect an invitation for the rabbi's house. So that's one lesson. And then the second lesson is his congregation has grown from 600 units to 850 units in those nine years right. in a very competitive environment with a synagogue on every corner in New Jersey. 
and at a time when synagogue affiliation is is it's declining, de- declining pretty rapidly, almost fifty percent. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, is it possible? Yes. Those synagogues have to change the way they're doing their business. Do they have to allow for uh, rabbis to look at their timelines of how they spend their time during the week and say, hey, we're only spending 15, 20% of our time doing one-on-one conversations with our members outside the building uh, because we're so overwhelmed with administrative work and our other kinds of work. Maybe maybe something's got to give in order for us to spend a little bit more time doing the relational piece. I said that yesterday to overflow crowds. Something's got to give because time is the one non-renewable resource. Correct. So we in the reform movement, specifically the college, because we're training the educators and the rabbis Mm -hmm. and the cantors and the nonprofit professionals who are going to shape our piece of this pie. Mm -hmm. And there is a discourse afoot that says that the rabbi needs to be not just scholar, pastor, and officiator, but CEO. And do so this is a real question, not a rhetorical one. I, I want to make sure I understand. Are you telling me that that new or additional role, as integrated as we can imagine it, of the CEO is in fact a misguided undermining of the real rabbinical work? Well, it depends on how you think of CEOs. I know CEOs of major companies who spend a good piece of their week interacting with their staff, their customers, going off to golf courses. How can a CEO of a major company spend four hours on a golf course with a client or two? How could they justify it? How can they justify it? And what they tell me is that's uninterrupted four hours of time with a client to get to know that client. No brain I know a rabbi who I'll go nameless in this conversation <laughs> who was the state golf champion, amateur golf champion. Uh, the minute I heard that, I said, how can a rabbi right. have the time, time to be, a to be the golf state amateur golf champion of a major state? And when I asked the rabbi why he spent so much time on the golf course, he said, I raise money on the golf course. I raise friends on the golf course. I meet my but he's clients. He's studying Torah on the golf course. He's teaching Torah on the golf course. You think he's, so? Yeah. I, or they're talking. Or about? he's getting his he's getting his members who would never come to Torah study, putting a bug in their ear. You know what? Why don't you come? Why don't you? So you know, it's like rabbis who do a Torah study in a law office at twelve o'clock over a lunch hour. Well, that's Torah study. That's different. Ah, uh, 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 but it, but it's Torah study, but in a not. small group with an opportunity to meet well, the, the, that group at of a relational level, but not at a content level. I don't think it's the okay. same. Okay. So my quick answer to you is: Should a rabbi be a CEO? Yes, if the CEO understands that a big part of the job here is they have deep relationships with your staff. Right. I just I just came from a rabbi staff meeting at a synagogue where the rabbi takes the entire senior staff away for a two-day retreat every year, a visioning retreat, and treats them to spa treatments, right. you know, right. at, at, at the end of the day. Because they work very hard. Sure. People work very hard. The people working in synagogues work extraordinarily hard. You got to, the feeding and the love of these people you're working with and to really know them. So I think what I would add as part of the CEO list of things we ought to be doing 
is to carve out two, three, four hours in your week to make sure you're doing relational work. I want to thank you, Ron Wolfson, for joining us. Good luck on your book, Relational Judaism. Thank you for sharing with us, and uh, we look forward to crossing paths soon. Thank you very much. Wonderful. You've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.